All right, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you here today, and I also want to say congratulations to our graduates. We are proud of you, we're praying for you, and we're really excited to see where God leads you in the future. Well, today is a very unique day for me. It's my last Sunday before I leave for a 12-week sabbatical. Now, most of you have heard about this, but just in case you haven't, let me give you a quick explanation. In the church world, a sabbatical is a time of extended leave for a minister, and the purpose is to spend time with God and to be renewed, but it's also a time to learn and prepare for the next season of ministry. And as I mentioned a while back, the elders approved a sabbatical policy before I ever got to Plum Creek, and the elders put this policy in place because they have a genuine concern for the health of our staff and the health of our whole congregation. So any full-time minister here is eligible to apply for a sabbatical after being here for a period of at least five years. And several months ago, I gave my request to the elders, and they approved it right away. And I do want to repeat what I said back when I first announced this. I love being here at Plum Creek, and I love being a part of this church family. And I'm already excited about coming back in August, ready to hit the ground running. Uh, Just this past week, all of us ministers got together for uh, most of a day to plan out 2020. And I've got to say, God has done some great things in the history of Plum Creek, but I truly believe our best days are still ahead. So in summary, this will be a different kind of summer around here. And and by the way, I want to publicly thank the other guys on staff for stepping up and carrying an extra load over the next 12 weeks Jared Perkins and Dylan Bjorklund will be doing most of the preaching, and next Sunday, Jared is kicking off a new series called Ten, which will go through the Ten Commandments one at a time. Uh, A few days ago, I read through plans for this series, and listen, this is going to be powerful. Uh, It's a perspective on the Ten Commandments that is true to Scripture, but it's different than what I've heard in the past, and I believe this series will be extremely helpful, not just for our church, but for anyone So this week is a great time to invite someone to church. I hope you'll be back next Sunday and that you'll bring a friend with you. But while these good things are happening here at Plum Creek, what exactly will I be doing? Some of you have asked about that. And part of my time will be devoted to family and to rest, but I will also be spending time learning from other churches and other leaders, especially in the area of discipleship. I'm going to visit churches that are really effective at making disciples of Jesus who then go out and make more disciples. But you know, if I had to nail down the number one goal that I have for this summer, it's that I want to connect with God and just listen to Him. I want to step away from the noise and the busyness and just listen. Because the truth is, my heart is no different than anyone else. My heart needs to hear from God. And any of us can so easily get off course if we're just following where our hearts lead. Back in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah put it this way. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So let me ask you, do you believe that your own heart is deceitful? If the answer to that question is no, then I got some bad news. (laughs) Your heart has already deceived you. But seriously, we cannot put our trust in our own thoughts. 
We can't trust in our own feelings. We can't trust in our own perspective. Your heart may tell you that something is a good idea when it's actually a bad idea. Your heart may tell you that something is right when it's actually wrong. So I wanted us to start out today with this foundational truth from Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things. But what can we do about that? Well, if you flip over to the book of Proverbs, there's another truth that applies here. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So you see that? Your heart is really important. And why? It's because everything you say and everything you do flows from your heart. If your heart is good, then good things come out. If your heart is bad, then bad things come out. That's why this verse says to guard your heart. You've got to fight for it. And for the past month, we've been in this series called The Fight of Your Life. It's all about fighting for the important people in our lives. We talked about how to fight for your spouse or your kids or your friends. But today, we're wrapping up this series by looking in the mirror. We're uh, going to talk about fighting for yourself, fighting for your heart. And this message is for all of us. Because all of us are vulnerable. We're at risk. We're at risk of making bad decisions. We're at risk of giving in to negativity or discouragement. We're all at risk of wandering away from the path that God has laid out for us. So how, how can we avoid those pitfalls? How do you fight for yourself? Well, let's go back to that verse, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Defend it protect it from external and internal threats. But then the real question is, well, how do I do that? Well, I'm going to give you the big takeaway from, for today. I'll, I'll just go ahead and give that to you right now. Here's how to fight for your heart. Listen to God and apply his words to your life. It's pretty simple. Listen to God and apply his words to your life. Trust him more than you trust yourself. Trust him more than you trust your friends. Trust him more than what you see on TV or in social media. And let's be clear about how to listen to God. If you want to listen to God, don't just go for a walk in the woods and speak to the sky and wait for an answer. If you want to hear from God, you have to open his word. You have to let him speak through scripture. The Bible is God's truth. And this truth will hit you right between the eyes. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the, what? The heart. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows when we're on the right track, and he also knows when we're being deceived. So you know what that means? It means depending on the state of our hearts, God may speak words of confrontation or words of comfort. In this room right now, some of us probably need to hear words of comfort from God. But others of us probably need to be confronted. And that's one of the big challenges about preaching, to be honest. I've heard it said that part of a preacher's job is to comfort the afflicted. However, Another part of the job is to afflict the comfortable. And you know what? I can't simultaneously speak to every individual situation in this room. That's just beyond me. So every time I preach, 
I do my best to share the truth of God's word, and then I pray that he will do something in the space between my mouth and your ears. I pray that you will hear exactly what you need to hear. And like I said, I need to hear from God too. Sometimes I need comfort. Other times I need to be confronted. So on this final Sunday before I'm gone for a while, I wanted to uh, to spend a little time listening to God. What is God trying to say to each one of us? What message is he sending to your heart or to mine? Well, we don't want to leave this to guesswork, so we're going to look to Scripture. We're going back to the story of David one more time. We've talked about David as a husband and as a friend. And this morning, we're going to see David as he faces an enemy that threatens to destroy him once and for all. This enemy is not a giant named Goliath. It's not a crazy king named Saul. This enemy is David himself. The the enemy is his own heart. We're going to look at a story that's familiar to many of us. It's the story of David's great sin. It's one of the most notorious sins in the Bible. And the story takes place in the book of 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And at the beginning of chapter 11, we see something a little curious. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, if you're familiar with David's life up to this point, You know this is strange. David was a king who fought right alongside his men. He didn't hang back where it was safe. And in previous years, David had proved himself to be a a great, brilliant military commander. He had lots of victories under his belt. And he wasn't especially old at this point either. He was only about 45 at the time. So what was he doing at the palace while the army was on the battlefield? Well, David was beginning to take advantage of the privileges that go along with being king. He was settling back into a life of royal luxury. What we have here is a rich and powerful king just hanging out with lots of time on his hands. David's got nothing much to do and no real sense of purpose. And as you may guess, that scenario is a recipe for trouble. As we keep reading in 2 Samuel 11, here's what happens. One afternoon, David takes a long nap. After all, not much going on for him. Finally, he wakes up hours later, and he walks along the roof of his palace. The royal palace was one of the tallest buildings in the city, and from that vantage point, he has an impressive view of the entire countryside. But all of a sudden, his eyes catch a glimpse of something that just sets his heart racing. It's a woman, a beautiful woman, up on her roof, and she's bathing. Now, at this point, David could have made the right choice. He could have looked away. He could have gone back inside, but that's not what he does. He begins to fixate on this woman. David's mind runs away with all kinds of possibilities, and his heart starts to speak to him. His heart says, I want this woman. She will be my next conquest. So, is David guarding his heart here? Absolutely not. He's putting himself in a place with no guardrails, no accountability. David is not guarding his heart. He's just following wherever it wants to go. 
So in 2 Samuel 11, verse 3, David makes his next move. It says, And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So this messenger gives David the perfect opportunity to think before he does something stupid. This man says, This woman is not some object. She's a real person. This is Bathsheba. She's somebody's daughter. Now, David was also the father of a daughter. You'd hope that would make a difference. Bathsheba was was also somebody's wife. She was married to a man named Uriah, one of David's most loyal soldiers. You'd hope that would make a difference too. But at this point, none of that matters to David. He's not listening to God. He's listening to his own deceitful heart. And because he's deceived, he thinks he can do something evil and then get away with it. Verse 4 says, Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. Now, it is possible that David immediately regretted what he had done. It's possible that he wanted to pretend like it never happened, but he doesn't get that chance because it's not long before things get complicated. Bathsheba sends a message that must have seemed like a bomb going off. Just three words. She says, I am pregnant. And in that moment, David's deceitful heart says, i got to cover this up. Now, Bathsheba's husband Uriah had been away fighting David's battles with the rest of the army. But David develops a plan to use Uriah like a pawn in a game of chess. Now, David calls Uriah back from the battle. And he hopes that Uriah will spend the night with Bathsheba because if that happens, her pregnancy will seem legit. But Uriah doesn't play along. He says, no way. I can't enjoy the comforts of my home and my wife while the rest of the men are still serving in the war. So what does David do now? Does he come clean? Does he confess his sin before God and before the people? Well, that was an option, but he didn't take it. Instead, David gives orders for his general to place Uriah in the most dangerous part of the battle. The general follows those orders, and in this way, Uriah is killed. Think about all the commandments that David has broken. Do not covet. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. It's been about 3,000 years since this happened, and David's sin is still shocking. In this story, David is not some good guy who just slips up and makes a mistake. David's actions are downright evil. Now, if you grew up going to church, you were probably taught to think of David as a hero. But that's not how he comes across here. He's the villain. So how do we handle this contradiction? On the one hand, the Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart. But on the other hand, this guy does these horrible things. So if David really was a man of God, how in the world did he stoop so low? I'll tell you how it happened. David was human, just like us, and he had a deceitful heart, just like us. Now, when it comes to sin, we may feel like we're not in the same league as David, but the truth is, all of us are capable of great sin. If we stop listening to God and we just listen to our hearts instead, Each of us has the potential to destroy our own lives and the lives of many others as well. 
Here's the thing about God, though. Wherever you are in your story, whatever you have done, wherever you find yourself right now, God is always trying to speak to you. The question is, are we willing to listen? In David's case, it took a while. After Uriah was killed, David brought Bathsheba into the palace and he made her his wife. David tried to pretend like everything was okay. He was in serious denial. But finally, after about a year, God sends a message to David that was pretty hard to ignore. As we move into 2 Samuel chapter 12, God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. Nathan begins by telling David a story. The story is about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has lots of money and property and animals and all kinds of stuff. But across town, this poor man hardly has anything except for his prized possession, his one little lamb. This lamb is a beloved pet for the poor man and his children. It even drinks from the man's cup. But one day, the rich man is hosting company from out of town. And instead of taking one of his own animals to feed this visitor, the rich man takes the beloved lamb from that poor family and he slaughters it. That's Nathan's story. And when David hears this, he just explodes with anger. He says, well, that rich man deserves to die. That response from David is kind of ironic, isn't it? Because as David is listening to this story, he's sort of putting himself on a pedestal in a position of moral superiority. David acts like he has the right to judge this rich man. But that's how the human heart works, right? It's deceitful above all things and beyond cure. David is numb to his own sin, but self-righteous as he looks at the sins of others. That's about to change, though. Nathan is about to give David a wake-up call from God. 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the one who's guilty. You are the one who deserves to be punished by death. So Nathan is the messenger here, but the message came from God. It's God who hits David right between the eyes. It's God who confronts him with the truth. But hold on a second. Why did God confront David? Did God want David to realize how evil he was and then send him to his death? No, that wasn't it. Or did God want David to feel absolutely horrible and spend the rest of his life hating himself? That wasn't it either. God confronts us because he cares about us. He wants every story to be a turnaround story. He wants to take the wreckage that we've created and then work things together for good. So for just a minute, I want to think about what God may be saying to some of us here in this room. Some of us may need to be called out and confronted right here and right now. And if that's the case, what might God be saying? Based on David's life, I can think of three possible messages. First, God may be looking at some of us and saying, stop giving your heart away to lesser gods. This is one of the basic problems of the human race. There is only one true God, and he's the only one who deserves to sit on the throne of your heart. We all have this tendency, though, a tendency to push God off the throne and then put something else or someone else in his place. 
Whatever we put on that throne in place of God becomes an idol or a lesser God. In David's case, he made lesser gods out of sex and pleasure and power. And as you know, those idols are still very popular today. But there are many others to choose from. We may be drawn to idols like success or money or entertainment or romance or self. Many of these things aren't bad in and of themselves, but they become bad when we place them above God. And according to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So how can we set those idols aside and give our full devotion to God? The sad truth is, We don't have the power to do that on our own strength. Our hearts are too deceitful. We keep getting fooled into thinking that real happiness comes from pursuing those lesser gods. You know, David is not the only one who struggled with this. Except for Jesus, every human being in history has had this same struggle. We've all chosen our desires over God's desires. We've chosen our will over his will. And the Bible calls that sin just like David deserved to die for his sin, we all deserve the punishment of death for our sins, eternal death, hell. But the great news is, this is why Jesus came. God wants every story to be a turnaround story, and Jesus is the one who makes that turnaround possible. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. And when we give our lives to him, God forgives us, and he saves us, and he he gives us eternal life. We become a new creation. We get a new start. Now, if you have never given your life to Christ, I'm praying that you will do that as soon as possible. But what if you have made that decision to follow Jesus? Do those old desires go away? Well, a lot of you know, they don't go away. We're still tempted to make idols out of lesser things. We're still vulnerable to making bad decisions. And because of those tendencies, we need to listen to God every day. We need to ask him, Lord, where do I need to surrender to you right now? Where am I not allowing you to rule in my life? And if we're willing to listen, God will point out those areas where we need to change. And not only that, he will give us the power to change. So right now, I'm asking you and I'm asking myself, Are we willing to listen? If God is trying to confront us, are we paying attention? To some of us here, God might say, stop acting like sin is no big deal. That's what David was doing, right? After Uriah was dead and Bathsheba was living in the palace, David spent about a year just putting on a show, acting like everything was A-OK. But at no point in that year was everything okay. Sin is a cancer, and if you try to hide it or deny it, the damage only grows. I'm confident that someone in this room is doing exactly what David did. You've been fooling yourself. You've been thinking that you can manage your sin. You got it under control. Up to this point, you've been covering up instead of coming clean. If that's you, I'm praying that you will hear God speaking to your heart, and I'm praying that you will follow the example that we're about to see from David. But there's one more way that God may be confronting us. To some of us, God may be saying, 
Stop avoiding what I've called you to do. You know, in David's life, he had stopped being the king that God had called him to be. He slipped into a life of comfort and ease. And as we saw, his lack of purpose contributed to what happened later. But what about you? Is God calling you to do something that you just haven't done yet? Is he leading you to jump into a certain ministry? Is he calling you to share his love with a specific person and point that person to Jesus? If any of that applies to you, and up to now you've been dragging your feet and making excuses, I'm praying for you too. I'm praying that you will take that step and follow where he's leading. And just a side note, you may want to read the book of Jonah this week. But let's get back to David. What ends up happening to him? Well, as we saw, David was confronted by Nathan. After that story about the rich man and the lamb, Nathan says, David, you are that man. But how does David respond? Well, it's very interesting. With David, we get this rare opportunity to see what was happening inside his heart in this moment. You may know that David wrote a lot of the Psalms in the Old Testament. In Psalms 32 and 51, David writes about this incident in a very personal way. In Psalm 32, verse 3, David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So right here, David is describing that one-year period in between his sin and that confrontation from Nathan. On the outside, David was doing his best to put up a good front, but on the inside, he was dying. He knew that he was guilty. He knew that things were not good between him and God. But at the end of that year, Nathan showed up, and David finally got that wake-up call. And when the call came, you know what David did? He came clean. Listen to what he writes in Psalm 51. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Down in verse 10, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So David finally came to God with a broken heart. You know, we usually think of a broken heart as something that's bad, something you want to avoid. But when we've sinned against God, a broken heart is exactly what we need That's when we're finally willing to relinquish control and put God back on the throne. Too many times, though, we fight tooth and nail to keep that from happening. We don't want a broken heart because it's too painful. It's humiliating. It means letting go of things we don't want to let go of. But you know what's on the other side of that brokenness? In a word, it's peace. Peace between you and God peace within yourself. Jumping back to 2 Samuel 12, after Nathan speaks a few harsh words to David, we get to verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, 
I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Can you imagine what it was like for David to hear those words? The Lord has taken away your sin. Your guilt is gone. I'm sure David felt like this huge weight was lifted from his shoulders. I'm sure this sense of dread just evaporated. Now, I I do need to acknowledge something here. God did erase David's guilt, but God did not erase all the consequences of David's sin. If you read on, you see that some of David's family had to suffer. They suffered violence and grief and even death all because of his incredibly stupid decisions. And you know, that also happens today. God is willing to forgive anyone, and his forgiveness is very real. But sometimes the consequences of our actions linger on long after we've been forgiven. However, that still doesn't cancel out the good news. David's status had changed from guilty to innocent. Back in Psalm 32, he explains what happened. He says, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So you see what God does. At times, he confronts us. He calls us out. He rebukes our deceitful hearts. But when we listen to him and when we apply his words to our lives, God speaks words of comfort. I want to close today by thinking of some of the comforting words that God may want you to hear right now. If you came to church this morning feeling rejected or unloved, God may be saying, remember my love for you. You know, even when David was at his worst, he was still loved by God. It's true for all of us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a a truth that you can always count on. God has never loved you more than he does right now. And God will never love you more than he does right now. He may allow your heart to be broken. He may confront you. But that's only because he cares for you. He wants what is best for you. Some of us, though, may need to hear a different message. God may be saying, receive my grace and then believe that it's enough. If you've never given your life to Christ, I know that God is calling you to receive his grace and his forgiveness today. And if you have given your life to Christ and you just have trouble believing that you're forgiven, listen to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. But there's one more message that you may need to hear from God. Maybe you walked in here today and you feel completely wrung out and exhausted. Not just physically, I'm talking about a weariness in your soul. If that's the case, you may need to hear God saying, find rest in me. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is talking about this peace, the peace between you and God, the peace within your soul that comes from listening to him, applying his words to your life, responding to all the good that he wants to do in you. 
Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 tells us what happens when we put our life in God's hands and, and we give our concerns over to him. You know what happens? It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do those words sound familiar? Above all else, guard your heart. Well, right here we see that God's peace is what will guard your heart. That's how you fight for your heart. That's how it all comes together. You see the progression? You start by going to God. You listen to him. You apply his words to your life. And then you find that peace that can only come from him. And finally, his peace will guard your heart. And you'll become a different person. Because your heart will change. And then you'll live a different life. Because everything you say and everything you do flows from your heart. Let's pray. Father, it is humbling to admit that our hearts are deceitful, that we can't really trust in our own thoughts or feelings or perspectives, but we can trust in you, Lord. I pray that you will remind us to come to you, to listen to you, to apply your words to our lives. I pray that we won't just hear your words and walk away unchanged. I pray that we will respond to you to receive what you want us to receive and to become who you want us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.